0: Good morning you know it's uh I love the way that uh, this India trip uh, came together with uh, Zach and Redmark and uh, all that are involved in that team about four months ago uh, i got uh, Zach came into my office and thought, hey, guess what we got a, uh, we got an invite to play at a club in Seattle and um, it's a it's a really popular club and so a spot came open, and we're going to go to Seattle. And I was excited for him, and the and the band went out, and uh, and just had a wonderful opportunity to minister there. Uh, it was actually in the middle of a bunch of uh, uh, kind of grunge uh, Seattle environment bands, and the feedback was, wow, what a what a breath of fresh air uh, that this band was, as they brought forth uh, truth. They weren't uh, they weren't quite as grunged out as the rest of the bands. <laughs> and uh, and so he's just sharing the, the, the opportunity that came up, how God just, uh, you know, opened the door for him. Like, isn't that great? You know, God's really blessing you guys and continue to, to be blessed. And, and then he comes into my office about, uh, about a week later. He's like, Rod, you won't believe this. And I'm all, what? He goes, we got a call from Luis Palau uh, organization inviting us to go to India. It's like, What? Yeah, you know that you know that deal we played in Seattle? Well, there was someone there who just happened to be connected with the Luis Palau organization. And they really enjoyed the worship. And so they talked to the people at Luis Palau, and they got on the website. And they said, yeah, let's give them an invite. And so, hey, would you guys like to come to India, of all places in the world? And it was kind of like we were talking about this, and he's just like, you know, I mean, it's out there. And uh you know, it's not really, I mean, it's only three months away. I mean, there's no way we can do this. And as we talked and prayed, and it's like, well, you know what? Let's just, let's just see what God has. You know, right away he gave you the Seattle deal. And I go, it's not too often you get a telephone call from the Luis Plow organization. And so maybe God is doing something here that we're not quite sure of. And so then we went and we met with Brian and the missions, and we're like, here's the deal. We don't know what's going on, but God seems to be doing the work, what do you guys think? And uh Brian got excited about it. It's like, well let's pray about it. Let's see what God's doing. And uh and so we started to pray about it and kind of get logistics together and then the team is starting to be formed together. And it's just like, how can we even do this? It's three months away. We you know we have to get work off. It's a it's a two week deal to go. We gotta we gotta get all kinds of malaria shots and and all this stuff. You have those bad nightmares. Do we really want to go through this? And uh, the team actually was able to get the time off of work. And, and, and people, Mike was telling me, like his boss, who he never thought in a million years would give him time. Was like, yeah, that sounds like a great deal. Go. Be blessed. You know? I was like, what? Where am I? <laughs> and, and everybody was, was, was starting to happen. And this. like, well, wow, that's okay. But oh my goodness, it's about $21,000 to go. We only have three months. $21,000. It's not going to happen. And it's like, hey. God is opening doors. Let's just see what happens. And so we started to share with you the body about the opportunity and started to ask you for prayer and ask you for financial support because it takes that to go out. And guess what? Man, God, through you guys and through this community, started to pour in financially. Not only did they get their $21,000, but they got more. They got an abundance And it kept coming in. It just came in more last week. They were playing at another church, and just more. It's like, Lord, what do we do with all this? What are you doing? And then they were able to take that money, and and actually they're buying sewing machines for single women who have no husbands and are barely surviving so that they might have industry, might have life. And so this door opened before them. And so they're stepping through. And so Sunday of next week, they walk through that door on a plane to India to see what God has. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Amen. And this morning we want to look, as we saw the images, we want to look at the tale of two doors about the churches of Philadelphia and Laodicea. And we want to look in Revelation chapter 3, and we want to look at the doors that each has in front of them. The church of Philadelphia, talking about the door that is placed before you. There's right in front of you, red mark. What are you going to do with the door that's there? Turn to Revelation 3, starting in verse 7. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write these things. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. The Lord Jesus loves this church, loves Philadelphia, brotherly love. Some of you are from that area. My father is, by the way. He doesn't have anything negative to say about them. He just enjoys this church. He's pleased with them. And he wants to continue to minister to them. And the only exhortation that he has to Philadelphia is, look Open your eyes. It's actually a command. Look, behold, this door in front of you and all that's going on. I don't want you to miss it. And Jesus, again, loves this church. And in this whole chapter, he just ministers to this body so that they might be encouraged and might continue to look. I want you to go down to verse 12 with me and see how he ministers to Philadelphia. To him. Who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write him on the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which is coming out of heaven from my God, I will write on him my new name. Look what he says about the saints. He says, Never again will he leave that city. It was a city set in a volcanic atmosphere on a ridge where volcanoes were happening and where earthquakes were often. And so the people were literally going and coming all the time. It was the San Francisco of Asia Minor, of Turkey. And there was an incredible fear of the great quake. And people's lives were often lost in these quakes. And so literally some would every night pack up, go out of the city, and return again. And that was a lifestyle that they lived every day, in fear of foundation that was not secure, in fear of what might happen to them, fleeing for their lives, coming and going all the time, kind of like many of your teenagers at home, go and come. They were never around, always living in that fear of what might happen. And look what Jesus is saying. He's saying, never again will you have to leave. Here's my promise to you, church, that I love. You will enter the city of my God, heaven. You won't have to live in fear anymore. You're not going to be banking your life on a foundation that isn't secure, but I am unshakable. I'm your firm foundation. He's trying to remind us again, you won't have to go and come because you will have security in me my presence with you is not disturbed by things that are shaky my presence is not disturbed by things that seem to be rocking your world right now let's look at Psalm 71 just listen with, you, with me my soul finds rest in God alone my salvation comes from him He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock. He is my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Do you believe that to be true? And what God is trying to bring us to is you don't have to go in and out. I am truly your firm foundation. Like David rested upon the Lord, may we also, Cole Community Church, may we also individuals of this body say, Lord, you truly are my firm foundation. I am not shaken only because of you, because you are not shaken. And then he says this, and I will make a pillar of you. William Barclay speaks to this. When a person served the state well, he left behind noble record. And the memorial which the city gave him was to erect a pillar in that person's name. There was many temples in the city, and the name would be, uh, there was many pillars in the city, and the name would be inscribed on one of the pillars of the city. Philadelphia honored its illustrious sons in such a way. And Jesus is saying of you and me, I will make you a pillar. I give you honor to those who overcome. You will be placed in a temple that will never be destroyed. And we shall have on our name the name of the Lord and the city of the new city, which is Jerusalem, and his name. You really get the image of this, this stamp of approval, this seal, my name upon you. I give you honor. I love you. You're beautiful to me. A wonderful gift from our Lord. Don't ever forget that the Lord loves to bless us. The Lord loves to bring good things to us. He loves to say, here, I want to give you honor. I want you to have joy. I want you to be set up in my kingdom because I enjoy you. I love you. I think sometimes we think opposite. Like he's just here, and even in these letters, he's just here to, to judge us. He's just here to lay it, lay it down on us. And we forget about the father who just enjoys blessing us. Like, like a dad who, who surprises his child with a new car on his 16th birthday. And then he sees the joy that it brings to his child, and then the parent is just more elated because his child is blessed. You don't think if we feel that way that God doesn't feel it all the more? It's the joy of the Father. I want to set you up as a pillar. I give you honor. I'm looking forward to having you in my kingdom and enjoying you. Let's go back to the door. Let's go back to the character of God, to the church of Philadelphia. He says three things about himself. He says, I am holy. These claims were only made of God himself. And Jesus says, I am holy. Remember Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he says, I am true, which means I am trustworthy. I am real. You can set your compass by me. And he says, he holds the key of David. You go, what is it that he holds the key to? To what door? Or maybe what doors does he hold the key to? And I think there are two possibilities, as John writes about this in his passage and as we see throughout Scripture the image and the reference to doors. The first one is the door of salvation. The door of salvation. This terminology comes out of Isaiah 22. Listen to this. In that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him in your robe and fasten your sash around him, and I will hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and in the house of Judah, and I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Isaiah 22. Eliakim was the steward of the king's riches. And the house of David, as Isaiah continues to develop that theme, is always giving reference to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, like Eliakim, has the key. To unlock the door to all the riches of the living God, the great I am, Yahweh. Because of his death, because of his resurrection, Jesus has opened the door to the very life of God. Look before you, I have opened the door. Jesus says of himself, I am the door in John 10. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. On the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody, nobody comes to the Father, to the very life of God, except through me. That's who Jesus says he is. And although the door may be narrow, it is open. It is open. We can never miss that. God's work in this world, that it is an open door. And for you this morning, you may begin, getting Lord, I've never stepped through that door. And he's saying, come in, because I am the way. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved, the Lord offers to you. Today is truly the day of salvation. Today is the day that God may be calling on your heart. You might be tired of living in fear with no foundation, with with constant earthquakes in your life. And he's saying, look, I've set before you an open door. I want you to think about what Jesus is offering you. Those of you here this morning who've never come to know the loving, saving grace of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about the invitation, which he's saying, come, Lord, come. And he's saying, come into my kingdom. Will you allow me to come into your life? Because he holds the key to life He is salvation. He is the key. And I want you to sit and reflect and meditate upon this invitation. We're going to continue on in this passage to see more of the love of God that he has for you. But we'll come back to this invitation and what he has for your life. You know, many of you invited Jesus Christ into your life a long time ago. Amen. Amen. Life in Christ. And here's what he says to you. Look, I have a door opened before you. The second way that we see the image of door used in the scriptures is that of the door of opportunity. We see it used as Paul goes on and he says, when I was in Troas, I went to preach the gospel of Christ and I found that the Lord had opened a door for me there to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And pray for us, Colossians, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He says, look, dear Christians, dear saints, look, I love you. I am blessed by you. I love our relationship, but don't miss it. I've set a door before you this door of opportunity to step into, and it's right in the middle of obstacles and persecution. And it's not like I'm going to step through the door and, aha, look how easy this is. Isn't it great? It usually isn't like that. There's always obstacles. There's always the challenge. Puts us on our knees, doesn't it? To trust God, to step out in faith. And say, okay, Lord, you're calling me to step through the door. You're calling me to be aware of the opportunity in front of me. He says at that, that church they had little power. Exactly. You have little power, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have Christ in us to show that this all-surpassing power is of God and not from us, not our talent, not our ability, but our little power that he speaks of to this church. So don't lay low, dear friends. Don't retreat and go, well, let's figure it out. There's an obstacle through that door, and we get, there's giants in the land. He says, would you step through? Let my all-surpassing power work through you. Walk through the door. I know your situation. My wife was just at a conference with her. She has a little business called Southern Living at Home. Three seven seven eight zero seven one. Anyway, um, she'll love that. But she was at this retreat with all these women, and a lot of these women are very—they're uh, very strong women, powerful, and they're very independent women. And to be honest, they—they're uh, married, but they don't really—the idea of, of marriage is totally different to them. Kind of two independent contractors, and we'll just do our deal, and that's the way it goes. And so they're sitting around a round table like when we have any type of conference here. And, you know, they're kind of big, and there's lots of people, you know, in this uh, retreat that they're at. And, and so she's in a conversation with one gal right next to her, because it's kind of hard to talk to everybody at the table. And there's a couple of gals kind of really directly across the table from her. And right in the middle of all this talk going on, it's, Hey, Kina, you believe in submission, don't you? What? Yeah, you believe in submission to your husband, right? And the table got silent. Here's this door. Okay, Lord, do I step through? And she goes, yes, I do. But let me tell you why. It takes a little explanation in this world that has destroyed submission. And so she shared the same woman, as they're sitting by the poolside, they're talking about religion again, as though it just kind of keeps coming up. And so this woman, as they're talking, and they're talking about how people, again, doing good works, you know, that they'll be saved. Because they're good people. And Kina goes, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, what? Well, it doesn't seem fair. Who decides that? And so straight out, she goes, oh, you're one of those people who believes that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, aren't you? Okay, door? (laughs) And she said, yes, but let me tell you why. There's always obstacles. There's always opposition. There's enemies. But God says, don't miss the door I've set before you. Go to India, for goodness sakes. What do I have to do to show you? Look. And we stepped through. It's wonderful because in Philadelphia, it was set up in 140 BC to be a city to Hellenize the world. All of Greek thought and all of Greek culture was to go from this place. And guess what? It became a base camp for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to speak the truth of Jesus because they started to step through the door and trust the Lord and what he was doing. Look, I have placed the door before you, a door of salvation for those who are entering in for the first time and hearing my love and accepting it, and a door of opportunity for those who want to be used in my kingdom to step through. Let's look at the next door. The door we must open, the church of Laodicea. It's the last of the seven letters to the church. It has the strongest rebuke and yet the most welcoming invitation. And it's the door we must open. Look at uh, verse 14, if you would, of chapter 3. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Right to the point. A different tone, isn't there, to this church. And he speaks forth. And look at what he says of the character of God. He says, I am the amen. It's not just something you do after you say prayer for dinner. Amen has the idea of something that is valid or binding, trustworthy. It's foundational. He says, I am the faithful. I am the true witness. I am genuine. Christ is the pure representation of God. And he says, I am the beginning. I am the source of all things. I am the archae. it is in the language. I am the moving cause of Of all life. Colossians 1 For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, this body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn. Colossians 1. That's being taught at our junior high camp this week, by the way. He is the one who is supreme over all. He is the creation. He is the source of life. Everything in this world has a stamp of Jesus upon it. Every creation, our whole being, all the DNA and the blood coursing through our body has Christ all over it. Don't forget that when the foundation seems shaky sometimes. I am in you. I am all about you. Oh, Lord, you search me and you know me deeply. Daryl Johnson says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the Ark of God's creation, the foundation, the source, the reason, the revelation, the pattern, the goal of creation. That is who Jesus is. And that is why he's so nauseated by those who are lukewarm. C.S. Lewis said this, Christ produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, adoration. There was no trace of mild approval. And that was the condition that plagued the church of Laodicea. What about us? Truly, what about you and I? Mild approval for the great I am. The God of all creation. The source of all. And we go, thank you. Courtesy applause. Appreciate it. And he's saying, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know everything all about you. This church that I'm going to show you a little bit of images of had only mild approval for the source of life. They had orthodoxy, but they had no zeal, no passion. The church crumbled. This is the amphitheater. Remains in ruins. And it made Jesus sick. The word literally is, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I cannot take it. Laodicea had no water source, and this is across the Lycus Valley. Looking over, right there is Heropolis, a hot springs and at this hot springs it produced and it traveled across the Lycus Valley and as it came into Laodicea it was lukewarm it was putrid and some unsuspecting traveler would go to drink and it would literally make them sick and this is the hot springs walking in and this calcium carbonate was created here and all would flow down and go through and he says oh dear church You are neither hot nor cold. You're neither hot, which is soothing and healing to the body, and you're neither cold, which is refreshing to the soul. There was no refreshment to the spiritually exhausted. There was no healing to the spiritually sick. And the church had no spiritual influence. It had no zeal. But you know what they had? They had spiritual pride. Oh, how we struggle with that. He says in verse 17, "You may say, "I am rich, I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing." You only become rich in that community by compromising and going along with the world and its ideas. Laodicea was famous for its banks, its finance. In 8060, there was an incredible earthquake totally destroyed Laodicea and Philadelphia and Colossae. And so Rome came in and offered finance to all those places. Laodicea said, we're good. We got it taken care of. They rebuilt their city. They always had finance and money. They were the top of the clothing industry. They were beautiful people. Vogue started here in Laodicea. And they had this eye salve that would heal myopia and cure the eye. And they were famous for that. And they said of themselves, I have need of nothing. The church of self-sufficiency. God had become irrelevant. Big city. Everything's going for us. So it seems. Look at verse 17. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined and fire so that you can become rich and have white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest. And repent, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat. And he will eat with me. You are poor. Pounds of gold, but no spiritual life. You are spiritually bankrupt. You are blind. You had the expensive eye salve, but yet you do not see your spiritual condition. You had the bling and all of fashion, but you are naked before me. But you know what I love about what the Lord does to this church that is poor and blind and naked? He isn't just going, look at you, you wretched people. He hates and he hurts for the spiritual condition that they're in. And so what does he do? He draws near. He draws near. Do not miss that. Some of you are in this place and Jesus is drawing near to you. He is coming and he's saying, would you buy from me? You can't buy from Jesus. That's where grace comes in. Come to the storehouse of the source. Come and receive all of me. You can't buy from me. Receive from me life. And he says, those whom I love... Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. I want to point these things out to you because I love you. And he uses the Greek word here, phileo. It's brotherly love. It's affectionate love. It's love that feels. Love that actually enjoys being with you. That's what God says of this church. They're loving words. I want to be with you. But he says, would you be earnest, have zeal, continue to know who I am. Repent of your lifestyle of self-sufficiency. We become lukewarm. Because listen, he says, I stand at the door and I knock. Where's Jesus? He's on the outside. And he's asking this question to you and to me. And he's actually asking it to the saints. Okay, don't miss this. It's a wonderful passage about Christ's heart for evangelism and we use it often. I stand at the door and knock and it's true but this is written to the saints. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, I'm standing here and I'm going, will you let me in? Will you let me into those places of your life so that you might have the source? It has become putrid It has died. You're neither hot nor cold. Will you receive of me the fount of living water? Will you let me in that we might have life together? Don't exclude me anymore, he's saying. Stop living life where you say, I have need of nothing. Enjoy the amen. Enjoy him. There's two doors before us. One is a door that is open to salvation. And here's what I want to come back to. There are truly those of you in this room who've never stepped through and said, Lord, I've heard you knocking. I've heard your call in my heart. I thought I had it all under control, and I don't. Today is the day of salvation. And I want you to pray with me that Christ would come into your heart for the very first time and that you might receive life forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for not letting you in. Forgive me for living life on my own for rejecting you. Forgive me for walking away from you. And Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me today, this morning. Thank you for forgiving me. Father, come into my life, Lord Jesus. Be Lord of my life. Take over my life I want to step through this day through the door into salvation which is in you and you alone come in now Lord Jesus thank you thank you Father thank you for life Thank you for healing me. Thank you for responding to my cry. And I say, you are my Lord. I give my life to you this day. And for those of us who have been loving you, Lord, we want to love you more. We want to step through the door of those opportunities that you place before us. We want to live for you. Forgive us for our self sufficiency. Forgive us for not having a zeal for you, the creator of all, Yahweh, the great I am. Lord, forgive us for just mild approval of you. I want to follow you and I want to know you more. Lord Jesus, I want passion for you. Would your spirit fall upon me? Fill me today, Lord Jesus. I do love you, and I want to love you more today. In your precious name, amen.